Now, I'm sure there are times, and uh, I was actually working on my bracket, and it just wasn't coming together, and I don't know, a lot of these teams, I just don't watch enough, you know, so what I did is I just went all the way to the end, and I just wrote in Kentucky and tried to work backwards, and I thought, let's see if that works, and that didn't work either, so uh, I was busted pretty fast. But there are times when life is, this is, <laughs> and I'm thinking about this thing, and boy, that's a weak opening, but uh, the, the life is like your bracket, you know? Uh, you do it, and you look at it, and you think, oh my goodness, I'm going all the way. This is awesome. This is going to work. This is perfect. And then something happens you didn't foresee, and it breaks down. Wasn't well, that a beautiful segue? I think it was pretty good, I, but uh, and I'm sure there are times that you've wondered what will become of me? What's going to happen? Maybe you're standing dazed outside your boss's office door wondering, what's going to become of me? Or sitting in your car after the doctor's appointment trying to absorb information, what's going to become of me? Or alone in bed after your spouse has walked out. What's going to become of me? You get a rejection letter from grad school that you just knew was a lock. It didn't happen. You didn't get the job. You didn't get the promotion. And what's going to become of me? I remember working my way back. I was speaking at a high school in Cocoa Beach, uh, and it took several days for me after 9-11 to get back to Knoxville. And I remember being stranded in the airport in Atlanta for over 24 hours, and, and just this bond that you felt with total strangers, because there was something that kind of pulled us together as we wondered as a nation and when we just watched in horror at the, the attacks and the things that happened, wondering what's going to become of us. Everything seemed different, like it wasn't the same place anymore. Folks, we live in a risky world. This isn't heaven. This is earth. And it's a fallen planet. It's not merely unpredictable, but it's shot through with, with wickedness. And it's sometimes ruled by ruthless leaders and undermined by unscrupulous people. And we ask, what will become of us? As believers... As followers of Jesus, there are times when we are pushed to pray. If you're like me, sometimes my prayers feel flimsy. Like they're not going to be strong enough to, to, to really grip hold of God's help. They just don't seem adequate. So how do you pray when you're scared about the future?
the ancient Jewish prophet Habakkuk knew how to pray in such times. We're going to wrap up this series today, and it's been a tough one for me. I'll just tell you, this has been a tough series for me. Habakkuk lived in a terrifying time 600 years before Jesus. When by God's design, which is this crazy part of this event, this story, Babylon is poised to just utterly crush all of the Jews in Jerusalem and in Judah, which included Habakkuk himself. And he prays this prayer in this third chapter. And it comes across to me almost like a worship song, like the songs we've been singing this morning. It just tracks that way. And it's this timeless, soul-nourishing, faith-oriented prayer for those times that we face when everything just seems out of control. I hadn't thought a lot about Habakkuk, to be honest with you, until last year we had Wren Collective. It's a, just a really cool band here at Calvary. And, and in the midst of the concert, they stopped, and, and someone in the band read this, one of the verses we're going to look at today. And it just captured my attention, and I thought, well, how long has it been since I read Habakkuk? So the next day, I just read it from beginning to end. And it just, I thought, wow, I want to do a series on this. This is, wow, this has been there. And I wanted to, but the idea was easier than the application. You know, the idea about a series was easier than, than, than doing it. And I remember sitting down with Kevin going, wow, I want to do this series, and I don't know how to it, it kind of brand this or how to wrap it up and point it, but I just feel my heart leaning into this. And as I, as I began to do it, I thought, wow, this is really hard to preach. And I thought, it's probably been really hard for you to listen, but you're gracious, and I appreciate that. But I, I think today, as we, we kind of come to this place, we're going to see where Habakkuk landed in the midst of all of this. And the first idea that I, I came to in this third chapter is when you fear what will become of you, pray. Habakkuk begins this prayer remembering these stories of how God delivered Israel all through the past. And that's evident from everything that's going to follow. His prayer is kind of like, I, I forgot that you did this. Do it again? Would you do it again? Would you do it again? We have a grandson. He's 16 months old. So he's in that place where he likes to do things over and over and over you know how kids are? Some of you work in our preschool, and they'll, you'll do something, and it makes them laugh, and they, and they start going again. And, you, and you'll do it a hundred times, and it's just as funny the 100th time as it was the first time. Well, you kind of get the idea of Habakkuk's prayer. He's saying, Lord, I know you've, you've done amazing things in the past. Could you do another one? We need you to come through again. And he says this little statement that maybe you've heard before. He says, in wrath... Remember mercy. In your anger, don't forget, Lord, that you're merciful. This is a dark book. 
And it's heavy with the wrath of God. Now, even when I say that, you may have felt a little twinge because we react to that idea. It's something we don't think about a lot. Uh, it's difficult to talk about. Uh, maybe it's just the whole idea of God being angry. God is angry over Judah's violence and injustice. And that's why he raises up these Babylonians just to overwhelm them. And then his wrath over the Babylonians' arrogance and their brutality. I mean, they are just, just, just bloodthirsty in the way they overrun everything. Uh, brings about their own destruction. But this concept... Come on, do you, don't you feel that when, when I say God's wrath? You think, I don't want to think about God like that. And it's hard to grasp. The idea of an angry God, Dan, that just sounds so primitive for modern, sophisticated people like us. I mean, what's God got to be mad about? Well, God's anger in Scripture... Is, is different than maybe the anger you have felt or I have felt and the way we've reacted sometimes and responded to, to, to these moments. Uh, it, it's, it never rises out of pettiness or, you know, he, he doesn't have a bad temper. It's not like that. God's wrath is this absolutely necessary expression of his righteousness. His goodness, his, his love. He's, he's too good to let the wicked win. And as a sovereign God, he has a responsibility to put a stop to it. That's what our nation has done again and again and again. When we see a nation being bullied or a people being exploited and killed and put in slavery, and I mean, how many times have, have we raised up a generation of people who would go to a land they don't know where it is on a map, they can't pronounce it, but they will go and fight and die to set other people free? Sin, especially this kind of sin where it's proud and violent and, and it's... It's it, this injustice. It infuriates God. And it should infuriate us. That's the kind of wrath that we're talking about. Habakkuk knows. He gets it. That God must demonstrate his wrath against both Judah and Babylon. But for the sake of God's covenant with his people... Habakkuk also pleads, God, I know you got to do this, and, and, and I get that, but I'm just pleading with you, would you be merciful? We're your people. So what he prays next, and it really covers, like from verse 3 all the way up through verse 15, uh, it's, it's stunning to me. And he's evidently been thinking a lot and, and deeply about how God has delivered Israel from Egypt. You remember that? He goes back and, and he thinks about how God brought them successfully through all these things into the land that he promised to them against overwhelming odds. I mean, if you had mapped this out or looked at it ahead of time, you'd have thought, hey, Israel, that's not going to happen. That just looks impossible. But God did it. 
So Habakkuk goes back and he remembers these things. Listen, sometimes you need to pray back to God what he's done for you in the past. Because in moments of fear or despair, you know, when you just think this is not going to happen or this is not going the way I wanted it to go or thought it was going to go and the wheels have just come off in your life and you, and you don't know what to do. Listen, think back. Don't forget what he's done because it's easy to do that. And when I do this, I go, oh, Lord, I, I, I remember before I could even remember. But I hear the stories of how you, you, you worked in my life and, and I remember at 6 years old and I remember at 11 years old and at 15 and at 17 and at 19 and at 30. And we began to build our confidence because we look back and we think, did God do all of that to bring me up to this moment and go, you know what, Dan, I'm just kind of tired of fooling with you now. And I look, I did all that for you. No more. I'm tired. I'm not going to help you anymore. It's over. You're on your own. No, he doesn't do that. I get this feeling like, oh God, I'm sorry, I forgot that you've been so faithful. Why would I think that you would bail on me now? And that's what Habakkuk does. He prays his story and the story of Israel back to God. And he imagines what it must have been like for for God. Uh, Almost like God had been visible. He can see him working. Check this out in the third verse. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. There's this this terrible power that surges from this closed fist of God that He unleashes. And even if you, like me, you didn't grow up in, in church or you don't know all the Bible stories, you probably know this one. You know, these plagues that he unleashes, these uh, rivers turn to blood and frogs and gnats and flies and livestock dying and people scarred with boils and hell pounding down on the crops and whatever's left, the locusts come and eat all of that. And finally, when none of that works and Pharaoh just refuses to let the people go and he will not fall to his knees, the angel of death passes over each and every firstborn son and animal in all of Egypt dies. And it takes that to get Pharaoh's attention. And the people are released and they're set free. Verse 5 says, Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. Wow, I mean, this is really poetic, but it's powerful. You know, God is so terrifying. He says it's like these ageless mountains fall to their knees. And these enemies of Israel are so frightened, he said, you could see their tents shaking. And then he looks at the Red Sea and the Jordan River, and, and, and they part, you know, to let God's people pass through. They parted Habakkuk sees because this angry God is storming through them. You get that image? The next verse, he says, I saw the tents of, of Cushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? 
Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? No. God was angry with his enemies, but the sea is in his way. And God will move out of his way whatever he has to move to accomplish his will. That's true for the nation of Israel, and it's true for you. And you will come to these places in your life where you think, but Lord, look at the wall in front of me. Look at this obstacle. Look at the size of this river. I can't cross that. Don't underestimate what he might do. He says, you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed, and torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its ways on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. Doesn't this sound like something like out of the Lord of the Rings movies? I mean, it's just, except this really happened. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. Oh my goodness. This is a picture of the waves of the Red Sea, and they're all piled up to the sides as God, you know, this almighty God, and then his people go through because God is merciful. Then Habakkuk remembers a battle that Israel uh, fought under Joshua. Now look this back up because I thought, well, what's he talking about there? And it's this picture. God just mows down these nations like a harvester in a combine. And some of you are not ever in a rural environment. You don't know what that is, but it's, just, it's huge. Listen to this. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. His warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You get that picture? I mean, I know some of you are going, wow, this is really violent. This should be rated PG-13 or R. Yeah, you should read this sometime. This is, this is really a fascinating kind of, of a book. Um, and this is referring to this event where God had saved them, and they're wretched, and they're terrified, and they're just hiding. You know, just just hiding, not just in Egypt and at that moment, but these other times as well. He begins to remember, oh yeah, and after that, I forgot you did this, and then you did that. And, and, it was just, and, and God just crushed in his anger the wickedness of people in stories like Joshua and Gideon and David and Jehoshaphat. He says, so when, when Babylon comes... Remember that. And when your Babylon comes at you, don't forget, you have faced things like this before. And here you are. You've come through things before. He's still with you. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. He's still here. He's the same God. And can you imagine praying like that? I think this prophet, you know, he just kind of reflects on these. And it's the same stories that we can read in Exodus. And these were our forefathers. These were people who went before us. They were God's people. And we're God's people. It's like God says, look, get it. I'm still doing it. I'm still there. I didn't save them, and I'm not going to save you. And he pictures what God was like. I think we can do that.
exactly what we can do. And Scripture helps us. When I read through you know, all these events and these, these amazing things that happened, and Scripture helps us. The Bible gives us these pictures that if we fill our hearts with them, when fear pounds on the door, you're going to have a little more confidence to step forward. So remember this. We know a story of God's deliverance that far surpasses the one in Egypt or any of these other events. When you need to bolster your faith and when you're afraid, think deeply and pray deeply into the victory of Jesus. Start with this, that the wrath of Christ, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross so that we, so that you and I would never have to face that ourselves. Think about that. That's just astonishing. Think about the fact that this leader of the land of the wicked, who is Satan, and the enemy of our souls, and that that God will cast him down, and he will bind him in chains in hell's deepest, darkest chamber forever and ever. And we, who were once the wretched in hiding... And you hide behind all kinds of things, right? And you've hidden in all kinds of places in your life because you were so scared or, or just so filled with this sense of inadequacy. You have been lifted up in Christ to be seated with Him in heavenly realms. You. We are a royal priesthood, folks. We're saints. Whatever happens to you next... Don't forget that. One night I was just so discouraged and I was just, and I was just thinking about things. I was thinking, oh Lord, I don't know what to do. And, and this, this thought came to me, almost as if the Holy Spirit just decided, you know what, I, I need to remind you about something. So he whispers, you're going to heaven. I know you think, oh, I don't know if this is in this, if that's really going to help, but it did. I just got to thinking, whatever happens, I'm going to heaven. Do you remember the illustration a couple of weeks ago I showed you with the rope where I said, you know, this much of it is our time on earth, and then the rest of it, which would go on and on and on throughout your, that's the rest of our life? You know, it's like we got this much. We got 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. My great-grandmother, Ma Willie, I never knew her name. Yeah, Ma Willie lived to be 101 years old, and that was just this much. And now she's in heaven for eternity. And the Lord just whispered to me, Dan, I know things are hard. I know it's... You're going to live in heaven forever. Just want to encourage you. This isn't the end of the story. This is, you're not even in the middle of the story. You're not even through with the first word of the first page of the, you know, the first chapter of the first book of all the books that are going to be written in your story. So I just don't want you to forget that. It's easy to lose sight and just think, only the gloomy and the dark things. To contemplate the saving acts of God it doesn't always make our troubles go away, and it's maybe not going to mean you're not going to suffer, but it certainly does change the way I pray. And remembering 
recalibrates. It, it reorients our prayers, and it, and it gives strength to our faith. Now, in this text, there's this it's kind of a hush, this gasp, and then this deep breath after all that's passed before you know, his imagination. And then he continues leading us in prayer. And I used to think, I just assumed that Habakkuk's fear was at the thought of these coming Babylonians. You know, maybe every day he'd go up into the tower and he knows this is happening. And maybe he can see the dust in the distance or he can hear the sounds and he think, they're coming. Here they come and there's nothing we can do about it and we're not going to be able to stop them. I thought that's what he was scared about. But then I think now that he's stunned at seeing how vividly the wrath of God is going to be on display. Daniel felt this way when he saw the future. Uh, John felt this same kind of thing when God revealed to him the judgment that's coming at the end of the world. And you can read about all of those. They're right here in your Bible. Uh, The wrath of God now is coming on Judah and then on Babylon. And it's just terrifying. And notice here this little word. He says, yet... It's toward the end, it's in verse 16, he goes, yet, all of this, all of this, all of that, however, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. When you fear what will become of you, resolve to be patient. Sometimes, for those of us who follow Jesus, prayer is just hunkering down to wait on something from the Lord and just to wait patiently. We settle in. It doesn't mean it's going to be quick. It may be a long haul. So when you're in trouble, remember God welcomes us to pray for help then and there, whether it's for health or resources or resolved conflicts or for safety, and God may do that immediately. Or he may set you on a path that takes some time. Your problems may or may not go away. Sometimes we have to wait for the Lord to come. It says, The kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We sing about that because it's true. We pray ourselves full of God's salvation and his promises. And then we pray out our resolve to God that we're going to wait patiently. He doesn't have to do everything on my timetable. Sometimes I wish he would, but he doesn't have to do that. He will do it in his time. Yet. And check this out. I want want to read this, this last part of this for you. In the 17th verse, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I mean, it's looking pretty dark, right? Because even though all of that's going to happen, you know, I failed my biology class, and... You know, my girlfriend broke up with me, and my car broke down, and you know, you think you just list all these things. He says, even though all of that happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. When you fear what will become of you, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, not despair in your circumstances. And honestly, folks, I don't think we can get to the place of rejoicing without praying the kind of prayer that preceded this, you know, and, and all these things that have happened and, and just putting that out before the Lord and just being, you know, really vulnerable and honest before Him and just say, Lord, these are the things, and we pray that. And then He replaces our imagination with something that's so powerful. Manufacture faith. Have you ever tried in a dark moment to think, but I'm going to try to feel good about this. I'm going to try to be positive. I'm going to try to... And you think, it's not working. It's not working, you know. And, and you do all the positive self-talk, and, you know, and you think, yeah, I'm trying, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still scared, and I'm still... I don't know what's going to happen. Well, the good news is, you don't have to do that up. You don't have to do that you're going to be able to summon this from this storeroom down in your soul where God has put that. And, but faith needs to be fed. And that's what Habakkuk's been doing all throughout this prayer. And that's why you need to read and to feed on Scripture. I can't tell you how many times I've been in these moments where I'm not sure what to do next, what direction to go, and God will bring Scripture to my mind, it's seemingly out of nowhere. I think, wow, I hadn't thought about that verse in a long time. And this happened just a couple of days ago, and this verse just comes to my mind. I go, oh, Lord, I was starting to lean into the lies of Satan because he always lies. He's always going to tell you this junk to try to put you, because he just hates you, and he just wants to destroy you and to defeat you and discourage you, and that's all he wants to do. So, and, and you start leaning into it because it seems so truth, or what he'll do is he'll mix in a lie with something that you know is true, right? You'll think, but, 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 and you'll say something that's true, and you think, uh, yeah, but this is true, Dan, it's not really a lie. No, but he will, he will slant it, and he'll give too much weight to something, where it's out of balance, and then he, then he pushes in lies. And God uses Scripture to bring me back. I go, oh, wait a minute, but Scripture says, and you've shown me this. And these are the touchstones of our faith that he talks about. And the, the first one here is he said, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Or you could translate it, in the God of my salvation. God is not neutral about you. He's not impassive. He loves us passionately, and he, and he bends all of his virtues into our salvation. He's going to rescue us from sin and death and from the world and the flesh and the devil. I mean, no matter what else is happening, we can rejoice because God has saved us in Christ, and he will completely save us when Jesus returns. The other thing... Then I thought about this, this reason to rejoice when he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Because when fear comes and you're so weak and you're so helpless and you feel so powerless over the enemies, 
inside and outside. And you think, what chance do I have against these Babylonians uh, bearing down on us? And for you, it may be disease or finances or age or some unfair bully or boss in, in your life. Uh, it, it, what power they have over us. And then you, you add into that our own sinful tendencies and these toxic memories that some of you carry and carry and carry and habits that have become destructive. And you think, what chance do I have? I can't be strong. Well, good news. You don't have to be because the Lord is your strength. Let him be strong for you. And I love the way this ends. And this is probably the most familiar and maybe one of the only verses that if you would have asked me, you know, a while back, hey, Dan, say something out of Habakkuk. I go, wow, Habakkuk, I don't know. Let me think. Oh, yeah, there's this one verse that I see on coffee mugs and on plaques in the Christian bookstores, you know, and it's this one. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Isn't it funny that just moments ago, Habakkuk is weak-kneed and he's trembling before the wrath of God, and now he feels strong and he sees and he remembers this saving power of God to climb above all these powers of the world because he, he understands we rely on his power in us to climb higher and higher and higher. My neighbor got a drone uh, this weekend, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's got a GoPro camera attached to it. And I'm out mowing the yard and doing stuff. And I hear this thing, and it sounds like angry bees that are flying over our house. And it's this little drone. And he flies it over, and it's so cool. And he flies all the way through our neighborhood and back. And, and he looks down on us. And then he, last night, he put one of these videos up on YouTube. And I went to it, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, man, i got to get one of these. I want one. My birthday, how much do they cost? Probably not much, right? It, it, probably too much. I don't even know what I'd do with it. It was just so cool. But, and then you're just flying around with it. And then I saw the video, and there I am, and it's this total different perspective. And I thought, I don't think I've ever seen myself from like six stories up, you know, in, in a video. And it was just so cool. And he's flying, and I can see. A whole different perspective because, you know, you see your neighbor's yard and you see your yard and we've got woods behind our house and I see that. But when he goes up, I go, oh, check it out. Look, I can I get it. I see the whole picture. Now my neighborhood makes sense. I think, oh, those woods wrap all the way around and this guy's, you know, it's just I get this different perspective because you're seeing it from up high. Listen, when God starts taking you up high and when he starts climbing with you, you're going to look at your circumstances and all the things that are happening. You're going to, oh, wait a minute. Oh, God, I was just looking at it from my view, which is usually like this, or at best like this. And now I'm seeing it from God's point of view. And God says, see how different it looks? I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how God sees your life. And that's how he wants you to see it. Now, I mentioned I have these woods behind my house. Um... You remember a few weeks ago, isn't it funny that it was just a few weeks ago that we had all that ice and snow and that snowstorm? Uh, and we were in the house, and we could hear these trees behind us. There's a lot of pines in there cracking and falling. And I would go in the backyard, just stand on my back porch or on the deck, and I would listen, and you could just hear them. And it sounds like the world's coming apart. 
they just start crack and they sway and they groan and creak all the time. But this time you could hear them coming down. And I want to show you what, what some of them look like. I went out the next day and like a kid, you know, I'm out in the woods and I'm, I'm going around and I just started taking pictures of some of these trees that have come down and they were all over the place. Uh, and, and it was just kind of amazing as, as I saw these uh, that had broken during that. I thought, that's what I was hearing. That's what I was listening to and seeing these come down. And the thing I noticed about them is that Right behind my house, maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 yards, there's like a clump of these pine trees, and they're sort of all together, because I'm looking at the tallest ones and thinking, that one could fall on my house, and that one, but these are sort of all together, and then there's a lot of these that are sort of out there. You see, they get thinner. It's, they're more spread out, uh, and those are the ones that fell, those that were on the fringe, but the ones behind my house... It's so amazing to watch these things. It's, it's almost like they sway together. And all these branches, they support one another. And none of those fell. Just the ones out on the edges. And I think what Habakkuk knew, and what we know, is that the nation of Israel together would weather this storm, and they would come back from it. I say this gently, but some of you are living on the fringe. You're living on the edge of God's will. You're even living on the edge of a church experience, of being in the family of God. Maybe you come on a Sunday morning and and, and maybe that's it for you. But you don't know. It's so hard in a room like this to build relationships, to be connected. What church is for is that support. Guys, we do this together. I don't want you to go through anything that you have to go through and feel like you're going through it all by yourself. That's why we just go on and on all the time with you about community groups. And we just are always kind of badgering you and Joe's coming after you. Are you in a community group? Because we want you to get that support. We want you to be with people. And we want you to have those moments where you can say, Guys, hey, friends, pray for me because I'm going through this. That's why we want you to be here and to, to be apart with one another so that we can sway and groan, but at the end of the day, support each other. That's why we're here. I'm going to encourage you to do that. And, and I noticed this last verse in Romans eight thirty-seven. It says, no, in all these things, we... Did you catch that? That Paul speaks in the plural, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Us. Together. We're a family. Don't live your life on the fringe and on the edge. The righteous live by faith. And we, we do that. And it's in the plural. The righteous ones. We live by faith together. And together, we'll make it. We'll get there. We'll see the victory.
You won't be by yourself when we get to heaven. We'll be there with you. Isn't that a good thought? I'm going to be in heaven with you? You like that, don't you? Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose heart. Don't do this by yourself. Hey, let's do this. As we sing this song of affirmation together, if you're in a place where you're scared, Babylon's coming. (laughs) We want to support you. We want to pray over you. We want to do this together. So if you come and just want to kneel on these steps, or maybe where you are, that's okay. But if you want the support of people around you, and God's people, I'm calling you out to come up, and if you see somebody praying, don't let them pray by themselves. Let's pray together. Let's pray over one another until the victory comes. Would you stand, and let's do that right now.